Hello, film snobs. This is Film Snobs, a podcast where we talk to professionals and experts about movies and movie topics in order for you to be a better film snob. I am co-founder and contributor James Owen coming to you solo today because the other co-founder contributor, Stephen Himes, is in London, England, working on another one of his side projects that, by the way, if you have a high school age student trying to bolster up their resume for college prep, he would love to talk to you <laughs> about getting your kids to go to his Charles Dickens uh, tour of London and Paris, but enough of free plugging for him. I have got the great fortune of, um, of, of, of talking with Olivia Peace, who is a filmmaker. Uh, where, where am I talking? Where are you at today? I'm in Los Angeles. You're in LA. Mm -hmm. uh, she has directed a film called Tahara Tahara, uh, which has currently been playing at the Ragtag Cinema in Columbia, Missouri, where I have had an opportunity to see it. And it is still kind of playing in theaters uh, near you all over the country. Uh, there is uh, a, a digital slash DVD release in the works. I can sit here and tell you, and not just because she's sitting here looking at me on camera, that it is a wonderful film that I literally watched twice just because I like the dialogue in it so much. It reminded me of kind of like a Witt Stillman, Sofia Coppola, Woody Allen kind of film. And if nothing tells you I'm a 44-year-old white film guy, <laughs> those references should do it. Olivia, hello. Hello, excited to be here. I, I'm glad I'm glad to have you here. Um, I, yeah, I kind of want to talk to you a little bit about your film, about your career, because we were kind of talking off mic that you have had um, an encounter with Columbia, Missouri at the Citizen Jane Film Festival. And I kind of want to talk to you about that a little bit, but also kind of talking about what <clears throat> the, the current state of independent filmmaking is, the current state of of artists who are kind of doing unique personal work because there's a lot of concern about where the direction of that is going um, in American filmmaking. Um, so I saw this film, I, I, I you know, I, I look at it, I know it, you know, I read a lot of columns about where it's trying to classify itself as like a film about, you know, Jewish women, about, uh, you know, gay and lesbian characters. I found it to be very universal. I found it to be like very, like I found like the, the, the darkly observational about death and about, you know, anxiety about, uh, you know, being a teenager and that sort of thing. I found that to be pretty universal, but uh, kind of framing it that way. I mean, can you kind of give us your pitch about what the film is about and, and, and what it means? Absolutely. I mean, I think you've kind of nailed it in that um, I think when you do make things that are very heart centered, that are very specific, um, they tend to open up where other people can relate to them because of that specificity. So yeah, Tahara, it's a coming of age film about two best friends, uh, Hannah and Carrie, who um, have an encounter at a funeral. Yep. And uh, over the course of the film, you watch their little friendship fall apart. <laughs> Yeah, and it is a it is a funeral for a classmate. Mm -hmm. They go to a Hebrew school. Yes. Um, now I, I kind of wonder. Now you did not write this film. No, no, that goes to Jeff Seidman. Okay, so is this? I mean, so I guess I mean, Jess is not here. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you: Is this rooted in some sort of personal experience for them? Uh, what is what? Where did this story come from? So um, the whole film is actually shot 
on location in Rochester, New York, which is where yep. Jess is from. That's her hometown. We shot mm -hmm. it in her childhood synagogue where she actually went to Hebrew school, wow. uh, where she had her bat mitzvah. Um, and um, yeah, so I think for her, it's very personal in that like this was um, a place where she experienced growing up as a teen. Mm -hmm. So the specifics, like the the actual, um, oh no, I, are not specific. I'm not asking but... you to spill anything personal about her. <laughs> the tea, um, yeah. <laughs> but I think it is like a very um, common experience to have these sort of toxic friendships when you're growing up because. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes as a teen, you just have no agency over your life. Like you're plopped in all these different scenarios, whether it be your high school or this Hebrew mm -hmm. school with people that you befriend and a lot of time goes by. Mm -hmm. But as the film shows, that doesn't actually mean intimacy or closeness. That just means it's been a lot of time that you spent together. Yeah, proximity instead of... <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, it is centered around, I, I guess, a young, uh, well, not young, but their but their classmate commits suicide, mm -hmm. um, which, uh, you know, kids deal with. I remember I, even from a small, uh, small conservative town in Southwest Missouri, I had, I knew people who committed suicide when they're in high school. It's a very fraught emotional time. There's a lot of things that lead to that. Um, and it is, but it is kind of, you know, it is, I, I think, realistic in how, kids almost try to deflect how they feel about it because it's hard to process that emotion. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of, I mean, I feel like there's a lot of like joking and uh, kind of there, there's a posture mm -hmm. to some of the dialogue there. And I wasn't sure if any of that was necessarily rooted in an experience that she had or knew someone like that. I mean, I'm sure we all do, uh, but mm -hmm. I mean, certainly it's, it, it, it that felt universal. Um, I also must have been like really kind of an out of body experience for her to watch a movie filmed <laughs> where she went to school and like kind of seeing that part of her life on on camera. Yeah, I mean, she kind of talks about there's this um, very specific laminate floor that's in the synagogue. <laughs> yeah, and um, as well as like that floral couch and like the green ladies lounge and um, and the synagogue itself because. Something that was kind of interesting was that the synagogue was literally under construction while we were filming. Oh, <laughs> so it was like banging and sighing. There's like an asbestos scare, all that. Um, and so they were literally in the process of transforming the synagogue to look completely different. And wow. so, yeah, we caught it at the tail end of what it looked like when she was there, um, which I think is so special. It's just like a memory. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, that's partially the reason we were able to shoot there is because they yeah. didn't have events. <laughs> well, that is, so, that's really fortuitous, right? Like that helped yeah. lend a lot of authenticity to it, I would have to imagine. Absolutely. Um, and the people at the synagogue were so instrumental and helpful. Like I, um, as like the director was asking a lot of questions of uh -huh. the staff and like the cancer that was there Yeah. Um, about Judaism, about like, specifically the funeral proceedings mm -hmm. um and yeah they were all super game and excited uh, which is so sweet i could see if they looked at the script there might be some reluctance from their part what's funny no say. one asked no one asked about like what the movie was about really <laughs> i hope that i hope that they've seen it and they like it um 
<laughs> but yeah, and the cancer who's in the film was actually Jess's cancer too. Like the guy who's doing like the prayer, like who's actually oh, leading the funeral. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Shout out I, to him. He was great. I thought that was just an actor. <laughs> no, no. I mean, well, yes, he is an actor oh. now. <laughs> but, but is yeah. someone who is an actor who knows that part really well? You know, we, we never, we couldn't find someone who could um, really, I think who had the voice because he needed to be able to do the prayer songs. Yeah. Um, so we just, we just had the actual cancer do it. Wow. Wow. So, yeah. That's, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting bit to know. Yeah. It's, it's funny this all, cause we were talking about Columbia before we got on mic, a funny story about this. And you may or may not know this, but like the university of Missouri, which is where Columbia is, was an original spot where they wanted to film animal house and the administration read the script and said, there's no way you're filming this here. <laughs> that does make sense. Wow. That yeah. would have been so cool though. Wow. It would have been a real uh, feather in the cap here if they'd known mm-hmm. what kind of phenomenon that it had turned down. But you, you yeah. think about like how kind of almost antisocial that depiction was at the time and how they might yeah. have been a little reluctant to have been associated with that. But this, I mean, this wasn't like, I mean, this certainly wasn't, I never really felt like this was being overly critical of that life or of that religion. Mm-hmm. It was more just about, this is a particular experience in a particular time uh, mm-hmm. uh, for these characters. Uh, I mean, clearly there's a lot of personal resonance with it. And I guess, you know, one of the questions I had is how did you find this script? How did the script find you? Where, where did you come a part of this process? Yeah. So Jess and I went to Northwestern university mm. um, and I believe, I think she's a year under me. We were both in the okay. film program. I did not know her uh, when I was at school there though, but I made this film, like a short film called Pangea that then went to festivals um, and kind of like really, I think started my career as a filmmaker. Uh And so though a bit of tea, though the university had like rejected me from the directing program, they then showed this film in all the classes. They like sent it to the (laughs) alumni. They had it playing in the vestibule. And so just <laughs> well, success <laughs> is the best uh, form of revenge, right? <laughs> you know, it was it was sweet, but um, yeah, just saw the film. I think through that, oh. um, as well as the people who were on my set, we went down to New Orleans to shoot it, and we had the best time. Um, it's I don't know. I like to run my sets in such a way where they can be really good memories for the people who mm. work on it as well. So I think that sort of became like a bit of like a mythology around it at the school and so Jess actually wrote the script when she was a teenager she was 19 years old wow to turn 20 yeah yeah and um (laughs) she she wrote it for this class called um writing the micro budget feature (laughs) and um, that a, is that an accurate description of your budget, micro? <laughs> literally, I didn't know it at the time, but absolutely it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, at the time, I was like, this is the most money I've ever had. And then it immediately <laughs> was gone. Um, but um, one of the producers was in that class, Dasha Gorin, and she said, we can absolutely make this film. Um, we can make wow. it really quickly, we can make it on budget. And um, so then they kind of went about looking for a director and Jess had heard of my work um, and the fun time that we had on set. Mm-hmm. And so she wanted to reach out to me. Um, famously, she sent the script to the wrong email, thought I had rejected her. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so it required one more reach out. I read the script 
um, with my roommate. And at the time I had done this, um, like a Sundance fellowship for young filmmakers called Sundance Ignite. Wanted to plug that. It's a really great program for young oh, okay. filmmakers. Um, and they basically told me that my first feature should be something I write. It should not take anyone else's work, reject all of them. So oh. I was fully intending to turn the script down. <laughs> why, why do they say that? I mean, I, this is kind of an aside, but is that just because like, you know, you had to like kind of, is it just another thing you have to do is like understand someone else's script? I think for them, it's about authenticity. That's like a really mm. big um, core of like the Sundance way, I guess. Sure. Um, where your first feature becomes your calling card. So it should be about you and your own experience right. and um, kind of be a, a thing for you as like a writer director. Right. Like your calling card. So I was intending to turn the script down literally. Um, but then I read it and <laughs> I think I just saw so much potential in it. Like, yeah. um, it was funny, it was sad. It did really resonate with me. Mm -hmm. so as a teen, I think I had experienced my first, um, my first funerals and, mm -hmm. um, I'd experienced like young people around me committing suicide. And I thought that it was really well observed, like just the mm -hmm. way that people act in these different scenarios. Um, so I called, I hopped on the phone with Jess. I had three pages of notes about what she should do for her movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's what directors and, do, right? <laughs> yeah, literally. And, yeah. <laughs> and so I told her, you know, I think that these different scenes should be animated. You should shoot it in this one-one aspect ratio. Um, I had different casting ideas. I had different edits that I thought she should make to the script. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and she just kept saying yes and now here we are like yeah. three years later three years later um, so I guess yeah you, it resonated with you because it was something that you felt was something that was you, you could relate to in your experience absolutely and I had actually grown up I went to religious school I went to a Christian school um, for elementary and middle school and yeah, even honestly, even down to the couch, like that floral couch in the ladies' lounge, like yeah. I, I'd seen that before, and mm. so I was excited to be able to to share it with other people. Well, I, th I think you know one of the things that a film should do is kind of remind us all that no matter if this is like a Hebrew school or this is about you know kind of personal awakenings that, awakenings that might not be what you've gone through, but certainly that there is some there are things that we all have experienced in some way or another, uh, which, you know, I, I think uh, that, you know, that's what I'm always looking for is like, how does this like help me think about life and my life? Um, so, yeah, but obviously you, okay. So yeah, cause I think it was, it was unusual to me that you had a, there, there was a separate screenwriter from the director. Mm -hmm. Cause usually with these independent films you see a writer director credit there but uh i mean but you sound like you both collaborated pretty cohesively on this we did i mean it's so interesting because i think um we also have very different personalities mm -hmm. <laughs> it's interesting too because i think with um writer director pairing typically it's these two union two fuse you know and mm -hmm. have like a very similar vision but I think both of us have like pretty different tastes and mm. films um, and pretty different styles overall. So 
it was kind of, I think, really an opportunity, I think, for each of us to grow as leaders, literally, um, and learning how to sort of like meld these two visions together. Because Jess was also a producer on the film. So she was literally on set every day, um, getting wow. the location. <laughs> she was like our locations manager. She was the driver. Like sometimes she would get the food, <laughs> like she was a caterer. So was there um, pressure on you because she was there so much or did that help you because there was someone you could look to and say like, what did you mean by this? I think it was a bit of both. Um, mm. I think like there were some times when I had to be like, you know, literally you have to trust me on this. Because yeah. um, my, my ideas like are very much sometimes on the fly and mm. always a little, um, yeah, off kilter, I guess, is what the, what the, the writers have been saying. Yeah. yeah. Um, because my inspirations for filmmakers have all been music video people and have been animators. Um, yeah. So that's kind of an anime, you know, that's kind of where that comes from. Where it's You're an anime fan? I am. I am. I'm new to it too. I wish, oh, I, had, <laughs> I wish I'd grown up with it the whole time. Like that was absolutely made for me. Um, but yeah, I love um, just kind of taking something that people have seen before and maybe giving it a little bit more dimension. And she did, you know, she grew up with um, Woody Allen and Sofia Coppola's. And um, uh, I think like a film that she mentions a lot is Frances Ha growing up. It's sort of oh my gosh. Yeah. And so I, I think I see this. so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of, I think, a bit of synergy, like bringing those two things yeah. together. Um, I hadn't thought about that because I, you know, when I was watching Francis Hall, I, me and my, actually the guy I was, I do this podcast was watching it. We were talking a lot about Truffaut and Jules at Jim mm -hmm. uh, because that clearly was influenced by that. But gosh, there's a lot of that in this movie too. I just hadn't thought of that literally until just now. <laughs> but there is about the like kind of the rivalry and the romance that builds up between these friendships. It's like a very, um, that's, yeah, gosh, okay. Well, no, I'm glad mm -hmm. I know that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, gosh, there's a lot. There's, I'm still trying to unpack so much of what you said here. You, you were talking about your, you got, you had the student film that was Pangea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was, that reached a level of acclaim. And we were mentioning a little bit on mic and off mic that you brought that to a number of film festivals. Mm -hmm. including the Citizen Jane Festival here in Columbia. One of my favorites. Yeah, uh, which is a which I don't think has come back since the pandemic, but it, it was something that was a really great showcase for film female filmmakers. When were you, you, you were here, that, that movie on IMDb has a credit of 2016. When mm -hmm. did you bring, did you bring that to Columbia in 2016? I think it must have been 2016 and I had like an incredible time. I literally made like a short list of festivals that I loved and Citizen uh, Jane is like up there at the top. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There will be people very excited in Columbia to hear that. Um, it, so it was a short film. It's a short film. Yes. Unseen by me, but is it, I mean, you, you kind of talked a little bit about your, you had these kind of visual styles. I mean, one thing that struck me and I, you mentioned this was the, 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 the introduction of animation into Tahara, Tahara. Mm -hmm. That was your, that was not in the script. That was your, that was your conception. Yes. Yeah, it was. Um, Why is that is what is um, what is what is it about like kind of mixing animation and in film 
because it obviously adds a layer of complexity to a small mm -hmm. budget. Mm -hmm. How do you navigate that? How do you navigate making that look, you know, professional and artistic and making sure you're not breaking the bank? I mean, I think for me, I, even before I started directing um, live action, I taught myself to animate. Oh, okay. um, And so that was always my thing at Northwestern. Like the first film that I directed was entirely animated. Mm -hmm. um, and for that, literally it was me and I think a crew of like 40 people. It's like this massive crew. And um, wow. I would learn from a YouTube tutorial how to animate um, me and my art director, Mei Gao. And then yeah. we would watch Miyazaki movies and then we would figure it out ourselves. And then we would go and teach the under 40 animators how to do <laughs> what we had just learned from the, and so the from whole YouTube. film kind of went that way. Yeah, <laughs> the whole film went that way. And it was entirely um, hand-drawn. Mm -hmm. um, some of it, we even rotoscoped using colored pencils. Wow. And um, yeah, and so that's like with light boxes and everything. And we built the light boxes out of cardboard, like <laughs> literally a lamp. Um, and yeah, and that's how we how we learned. We worked on that for like a year. And um, after that, everything that I ever made has these animated elements in it. Um, and for Sahara, it was kind of a no brainer because there are these moments that were in the script about someone having an experience in reality and then in their mind replaying their expectations about how they right. like it to go or expanding on it or um, just having a full alternate reality experience mm. <laughs> and so for me animation made sense because that's what it is like it allows us to sort of map something else like a different yeah. world on top of reality that's kind of based on the principles and moves a little similar but yeah, it's actually boundless as a medium. You can do anything. Yeah. So well, it's it certainly does it, to me. It indicates like something significant out of body mm -hmm. has happened. In this, yeah, which I think is how you. I mean, as an audience interpreting that, that's how I took it watching your film. Mm -hmm. I, I, I kind of do wonder, you know, if you know, kind of animation is where it sounds like maybe you you kind of had a passion for. I mean, how does that translate into doing? more kind of traditional filmed narratives. I mean, where, where did you, I mean, was that out of necessity? Cause animation is, is, is tougher to do as an independent filmmaker. I mean, what was, what, what was the, what was the evolution there, I guess? Well, I think initially there was the question of if I would be the animator. Oh. On the film. <laughs> um, and at first I was like, I can totally do it. And then I realized, well, this is actually my first time directing a feature. Yeah. Maybe I should just focus on that. <laughs> um, and then from there, my friend who I'd met through Sundance Ignite, Emily Ann Hoffman, is an incredible animator. Um, and she just had a film at Sundance called Nevada. Mm. And for that, she made these clay puppets. And it's this beautiful film. I think it's on Vimeo now. Oh, okay. Um, but I saw that um, maybe like a year prior no, it might've been a little bit earlier than that, maybe a year or two before um, we were looking for an animator for Sahara and it just stuck in my mind. So when the time came, um, I asked her to do it and she said, yes. And then it was kind of about like figuring out the style that we were gonna go for. Right. So 
we kind of landed on, okay, Carrie's the more dimensions character. She's got more layers and depth. So maybe we can use clay puppets for her because they're literally like three dimensional. Yeah. And then Hannah, flat. <laughs> maybe more like woozy, psychedelic, colorful, yeah. very pretty. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then she went for rotoscoping with that one. And that was yeah. kind of how we ran it. Yeah, because I, I am reminded there is other, like, other than claymation, there is, like, there's a moment where she's, like, kind of doodling, and you see those kind of, like, dissipate into the air, and yeah. so there is, there is, like, other elements where that kind of, like, kind of bleeds in with the reality. Mm -hmm. you, you mentioned, I, I always, when I talk about movies, I, I, timing certainly is something on my mind when I think about this. You said that you kind of met Jen, looked at the script three years ago before times as i like to call them <laughs> yeah um did you film this because I, I noticed on imdb this has got a 2020 stamp on it it's 2022 now yeah uh, i know that independent film kind of takes a while um mm. did you film this before 2020 when did you how did yeah. that timing work so we filmed this in may of 2019 if you can okay. believe it Wow. Um, yeah. And I had just some hubris. I think I thought, so obviously we didn't know the pandemic was going to happen. And right. I was going to start grad school. I was going to start going to USC to study literally something completely different, study video games and interactive media. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Shout out to the uh, IMGD program at USC. I should ask you about Mythic Quest. I just got done watching that. <laughs> interesting, interesting. It looked fun. Or, yeah. or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> so you yeah. you filmed this, and yeah, in, I had to imagine it was quick. Quick. It was fifteen days, which oh, um, I know everyone has that reaction. I didn't know any better. It's like the truth of the matter. <laughs> like I again, I was like, this is the most time I've ever had. It's the most money I've ever had, and it was just like simply. I, I probably won't do that again, but we, we made it happen. We like yeah. even went on little trips. We went to Niagara Falls, like, oh, <laughs> it's fun. But you were um, in Rochester, you, you were filming yes. it in Rochester, New York. Yes. So we were like right there. Um, and um, yeah. And so then we, I came back to LA um, and over some time I ended up being like the lead editor on the film. Mm. <laughs> so, right. I would, um, pretty much what ended up happening was I, I thought that we would finish the film um, by August, meaning like um, sound design, color, animation, final yeah. cut, credits done by August, even though we had just finished shooting in May. <laughs> and, yeah. Which, uh, you know, did not happen, uh, was not going to happen. So what ended up playing out was that I would, go to my classes at USC in the morning and afternoons. And then in the evening until the lab closed, I would go down to the basement and edit this film. Mm. And um, wow. yeah, and that was going terribly. <laughs> so <laughs> one day. <laughs> why, why, why do you say that? I mean, it's a, it's a tight, I mean, like it, it like, mm -hmm. I think conveys a lot. Yeah. A, it's a short film and that does nothing to do with editing, but you do mm -hmm. convey a lot in a short amount of time, which is pretty critical to editing. And that was due to um, our actual lead editor, Troy Lewis, came on vacation <laughs> to oh. LA 
to have fun, saw a cut, saw my cut of the film, and then just quietly took the edit over. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and and saved the film and fully saved the film. Um, so I think the combination of me just being able to then sit back as the director versus mm-hmm. getting in the weeds of um, doing, I think, the the more technical work of being an editor, we were right. able to find the film again and find what I had storyboarded. Because I literally, I came to set so prepared. I had my, my storyboard, my shot list. Like I had photos of what all the costumes were supposed to look like. Yeah. And then every day I kind of had to throw that out the window to deal with what, was actually happening on set. Right. Um, and so in the edit, we were able to just refine all those ideas and like really polish them, whittle it down um, and come up with something that was really tight. So, yeah. and Troy was actually on set with us as our on-set editor. Um, oh. Yeah, so literally at the end of those 15 days, we already had our rough cut ready to go wow. thanks to Troy. Mm-hmm. So you you get this rough cut that's kind of being edited as you're filming mm-hmm. then you kind of take over the editing. Yes. Uh, you know I, I've always wondered if directors who edit also have trouble killing their darlings sometimes. Totally and I was um, adding things too oh my god like. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. she, she Joy came in and was able to like edit the final cut in two weeks on this vacation. So that was yeah Troy Lewis and oh, yeah, okay. he came, yeah sorry yeah no he came and literally um I want to say he must have taken over the edit the edit in like maybe October um so October November December and then our film premiered at Slamdance in January of 2020 um really yeah so it's kind of that Slamdance Sundance was like the last of many of the festivals <laughs> Um, and, I mean, so obviously Sunday, I mean, I, I kind of, I kind of wonder when you're talking about your Ignite program, I want to go to this mm-hmm. real quick before getting back to the festival. Does, does it help you with, because I mean, one thing I always wonder is like how people find money to, to make mm-hmm. these movies. I mean, do they mm-hmm. help you with that there? Do you have to no. find that yourself? <laughs> no? I, okay. Well, yes and yes and no. I think more important, well, I can't say more important than the money, but something that was really vital to this film was a lot of the um, connections that we made in terms of like crew and even some of the cast came from um, my cohort at Sundance Ignite. Like I remember texting the group chat being like, hey, I think I'm gonna take on this feature. Like, does anyone know a cinematographer? And oh. from that I found Tequila DeCastro, who's a genius. Yeah. Um, and who literally herself had just graduated from college. Like everyone, who worked on this film was like either a teen themselves or in their early 20s. Yeah. Um, This is pretty much everyone's first feature. Um, Amazing. And yeah, yeah. And we we really tried, I think, to push the medium and have fun with it. But um, yeah, that those connections, like just, I think the number one thing we learned is just like, really starting to value working with our friends yeah because um, there was a whole period where we really tried to reach out and get like celebrity attachments or like mm-hmm. um people who were just more experienced and doing different crew positions or whatever and right. the people who really saw the vision and came through time after time with excitement and passion were 
people our own age um, and our friends. <laughs> so you kind of like see that as a start of a like where you find your collaborators and where you find absolutely you, you have chemistry with and that you can work mm-hmm. with. And, yeah, and on, so on the money. Um, yes. So since they didn't teach you that, I mean, how how do you mm-hmm. like? Because you're pretty young. I assume you don't like hang out with a bunch of. factors uh how do you find the money to take on an endeavor like this so literally part of the reason i also took on this film was that jess had the money in hand um and so we had we had a hundred thousand dollars and that was going to be for um for the like actual production and for post Uh and um in my mind because we got the location for free, we shot the whole thing at her synagogue. I was oh, like, yeah. this $100,000 is gonna take us so far. And then before we even got on set, it was gone. Like, oh. <laughs> you know, cause we, cause we paid people. Um, yeah. We didn't even spend it on equipment. Like we, we paid everyone what their actual, you know, we tried to pay people what, what we could basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so the money, it came from um, Jess's family. They like pulled together this money and yeah, that's what we had to shoot with. So in terms of like actually raising the money, getting more funds, like we had a lot of trouble with that, to be honest. Mm, and yeah. yeah, it all came down to really that initial $100,000. Like wow. that was it. <laughs> like <laughs> everything else we applied to, we were rejected fully. Um, wow. And yeah it's hard um so i say just kind of get it how you can um, it's pride swallowing to ask for money i've found yeah i run yeah, it out takes profit, time. i know <laughs> yeah i mean that's literally that's like a whole job unto itself is mm-hmm. like raising finances so yeah and i think for us um because of the timeline that we imposed on ourselves which that's yeah. i think another lesson i learned is like let things take time uh-huh. um we yeah we kind of simply had to make do with what we had but it turns out that what we had was like more than enough yeah and and time is money on those sets I mean like the more people you've got there they you pay them based on how much how long they're there so you've got to be kind of Mm -hmm. quick yeah your cost down Mm -hmm. Um, yeah yeah but I mean yeah but so and then so you're at slam dance sundance January 2020 Mm -hmm. Reception is good, I have to imagine, to the film. It was really good, yeah. Did you, so like there you are looking for someone to help you get this film out into the world. Yes. Was that immediate there or did that take more time? No, it wasn't. Oh. So we sold out both our screenings at Slam Dance. Like it got really great reception. Um, people were like cackling in the theater. Um, and mind you, this was, the film actually wasn't done. I think we can say this now. <laughs> None of it's oh, gone good. We literally, Troy, um, our editor, came to Slam Dance to continue editing the film. Like, as we were, <laughs> while we were there, literally, like, we turned in the cut, I think, within the hour that was going to screen. Like, <laughs> they, I think um, they call that wet in the industry, right? <laughs> yeah. So, this was the first time even we were going to be seeing the full film. Um, let alone yeah (laughs) you're really kind of close there like our sound designer Justin also everyone um I think he worked on this like is really um profoundly talented yeah um 
and Justin was literally just on call with me, like tweaking this sound, literally like the day of still, like um, wow. we're still kind of like putting different animations in, like the beginning <laughs> of the film, that cube that rotates around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I made that after Slam Dance, like oh. that wasn't even there. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> So it was a, it was kind of actually a different film, um, and we screened it and people loved it anyway. And yeah. we were like, "This is it. This is our year. Like it's taking right. off. Like we're taking meetings. Like things are going well." Yeah. And then the pandemic happened. <laughs> yeah, that Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. mean, I think we were so lucky in that um, film festivals really around the world just like rallied and put it put together virtual programming yes um yeah. so we were able to still tour the film literally around the world um and do zooms and yeah. it was it was really a sweet time where I think more than anything we I think grew out of any anxiety that we mm. had around like imposter syndrome or um the film itself and so by the time film movement came around, um, which I feel like that might have been the end of last year um, of 2021. In 2021, um, okay. Yeah, we were ready to go. And they had like a really great plan to roll it out into actual theaters and they yeah. were willing to wait until it was safe to do so. So mm -hmm. yeah, I feel so lucky for the time. So yeah, because I mean, you're talking about from when this kind of had its premiere at Slam Dance in January of mm -hmm. 2020 to December, mm -hmm. November, December 2021. You're almost mm -hmm. talking about two years. Yeah. That you're yeah. showing this to distributors, you're taking it to film festivals, building yeah. a buzz, building a reputation. Mm -hmm. But you have to be, I mean, you gotta you gotta eat during that time. I mean, how do, I'm always wondering, like, because I know that people like work off passion and you work off the commitment to your art, but I, I don't know how I live in that. LA. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, kind of two things. Like, one, um, we were winning awards, and some of those awards were cash prizes, which is oh, awesome. Um, that helps. And thank God for that. Yeah, yeah. huge. Um, and who gets that uh, money? Is that you or is it the is that the writer shares that or how does that work? So we um because we're like a low budget feature, it's important to me to work through like a point system. Oh okay. And um we learned this from I believe it was like Seth Rogan. Was that Seth Rogan? I think so. On like his films, he tries to keep like costs down, but then once the film comes out and begins profiting, then yeah. everyone gets to split in that profit. And I just really love that model. Okay. Um, where it's almost like we're investors, we're investing our time um, yeah. and our, our work, our talents. And so then when we profit, like everyone comes up yeah. through it. So. I feel like Soderbergh has done that too. Like he's, he's done that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, absolutely. Um, and yeah, that was inspiring to us. So that was one thing that wasn't a ton of money. But then the other thing was USC. So I, I'm at USC. Well, I was, I graduated last month. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So you, so you, you <laughs> got your master's while you're doing all of this work to promote yeah. this move. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's, that's the other that's thing. That's unbelievable. That, 
<laughs> it was wild. Like, and I think, um, and you know, that was also we were in person, which I loved. I love my cohort. I think the professors there were brilliant. Um, we went from in person to on Zoom ourselves. Um, so that was a completely different experience also. So we're kind of navigating all these changes on Zoom. I was at USC, I got a scholarship. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, shout out to um, ooh, George Lucas. Yeah, shout what? out to George Lucas. To him too. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that- Does he fund me, a lot of those scholarships for students? Yes, yeah, there's a George Lucas scholarship. Oh, um, for people that was there, his- so. That was his school, right? Like, that's yeah, what, yeah, yeah. It's his school. Him and um, his, oh his student goodness. film was THX 1138, I think. Right? Oh, I gotta check that out. Yeah, they have oh, a little archive of like their alumni. <laughs> it's a very dark, very dystopic yeah. version of Star Wars. Like you, yeah. I, it, I saw it in 2004. They released it. Like I lived in Lawrence, Kansas at the time. They were like playing at the multiplex, and oh, Robert wow. Falls in it, and yeah. Wow. It's wild as hell. Like, like I, I just couldn't believe, like, I was like, that's a student film. This looks like a, a, a studio. Listen, yeah. That's USC. Um, that is yeah. USC. Um, so you, yeah. And so we, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got my little rent money and my um, health insurance, which is oh, huge. Good. Yeah, yeah. For me at the time, especially with the global pandemic. Yes. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of my thing. And then literally upon graduation, literally the, week after um Tahara came out at, in New York in theaters <laughs> wow <laughs> so I want to I want to I, I want to back backtrack to this was this did you get your master's in working in in, in in kind of gaming and that sort of thing or was this in film so the degree is called um or the department is called interactive media and games mm -hmm. um so I went there because as a filmmaker I've been introduced to this amazing um, virtual reality uh, yeah. production company based out in Santa Monica. Um, and for the first time I'd seen virtual reality documentaries. Um, really? And I was so inspired by it. Yeah. And like, even at Sundance, like they had their little, um, like area where they had kind of new media stuff. So mm -hmm. a lot of like AR, VR stuff. And I thought all of that was so cool, but I didn't know how to code. I didn't know right. 3D modeling. Yeah. I just had ideas, yeah. um, which because that medium is a little newer, they don't really have people who are just coming up with ideas and not like sure. somehow technically supporting <laughs> the creation of it. So um yeah, so everyone at that production company, they all went to USC and they wrote my recommendation, my letter of recommendation. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, which was awesome. Um, and yeah, and I got in. And so I came intending to learn VR and that was only, that was mm -hmm. all I was interested in. Right. Did not care about video games. Um, <laughs> and then okay. over the course of the three years, um, they introduced me to some of the most amazing pieces of art really that I'd ever seen and some of them were video games um and so my thesis film is called Against Reality and I made that in collaboration with like AI neural networks which 
<laughs> it's its own thing. And again, with the YouTube tutorials, this is me on YouTube again. <laughs> the Redux. You can do um, anything on YouTube. You can. And that's what I tell filmmakers. Like, I think people feel embarrassed when they don't have like technical training. Mm. Um, but here I went to film school and I went to the video game college. I don't know why I call it that. <laughs> and, um, and it helps me understand what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, but you still like you're going to um, these classes so that you can have community more like, mm -hmm. but they don't have enough time to like teach you everything. Um, so often you still will end up on YouTube or like just asking your peers for support. Yeah. Well, I'm just really, this could like be its whole podcast because here you've directed this very <laughs> personal, very small film. It's got like, obviously got some technical chops to it, but you're talking about like stuff that we have not seen in the mainstream as far as like incorporating technology into to filmmaking and storytelling. It's coming. Yeah, it's, it's coming. coming. Yeah. Are you, are you going to be the one in, in front doing it? I mean, what, what are we... Do, do you see a path for how that technology can be used to tell stuff that's not uh, Marvel Absolutely. movies? Not that there's anything wrong with Marvel movies, but yeah, no shade. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I'm like, I like those movies. I'm dumb enough to admit mm -hmm. I like that stuff. But I also worry about the movies I like that I see at little indie movie theaters like yours. Mm -hmm. and I want those to continue. I love those movies. Mm -hmm. And but I, I, can they coexist? I mean, what is that going to look like? What do you think it's going to look like? Oh, absolutely. And I think we would talk about this in my program all the time. It's like, I think often artists get um, a bit, I think the word is like protective around their mm -hmm. mediums when they see new shiny things going viral. Um, and this mm -hmm. happens literally like once a month. It's like some yeah. new contraption has come out that's threatening the movies. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm an alarmist like that. I'm, it's it's fair. Yeah, it's fair because I mean I think the way that people write about these things is causing alarm. Whereas mm. like, you know, just because movies came out, people still read books. Like, there's still a major Ooh. publishing industry. Um, yep. And you know, we still love paintings. We still go to museums. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so I think <laughs> this is just sort of carving a new path for people who would like to go in that direction. Like virtual production where let's say we're an indie feature and we want mm -hmm. to shoot um, somewhere that would cost a lot of money to shoot like even say New York or LA costs sure. a lot of money yeah. to shoot here in virtual production we can use production projection mapping to create um, a literal location <laughs> and we can have it look however we want um, for very little money and all you need is like a laptop you know wow. um and so things like this i think will really help a lot of filmmakers to make things at cost like the fact that these camera prices are coming down that's gonna be huge for a lot of people mm. and the fact that there are these youtube tutorials now well, like, right. uh yeah. yeah you can you can learn uh mm -hmm. even without having the prohibitive costs of sometimes going to, to, to formal schooling for that mm-hmm yeah, I, and even as an animator, this uh, the AI stuff where you can generate artworks, um, yeah. I think it's going to be really huge for people. But then I think about that in terms of, we were mm. talking about earlier in our conversation about how 
going to your screenwriter's synagogue to film this. I yeah. mean, to me, even at a subconscious level, watching it makes it feel authentic. Yes. That will be, I mean, I could imagine that being a struggle when you start talking about these kind of created realities, even if you're doing it mm -hmm. for, you know, to make sure your story and your vision can come across and, and making it in a way that that's more democratized. Because mm -hmm. I think technology can do that, but does, do you lose some of that intimacy potentially? I think that's a really good point. And yes, like there was so much, I think that was gained from us being in person, especially me who had mm -hmm. never been to that location before. Yeah. But I don't know. I think that people are going to really expand because, you know, I think the way that technology always rolls out is the people who create the technology have an idea of what it, how it's going to be used. Right. And then young people get a hold of it and just like completely <laughs> run with it and do something it never, else. You know? Never goes the way people expect, right? Yeah. For better or for worse. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, I'm saying like we can shoot on location in LA or New York, but you could also shoot on the moon. You know, we can <laughs> completely make a whole <laughs> new world, you know, like yeah. um, speaking of like these huge filmmakers, like Steven Spielberg, like mm -hmm. George R. R. Martin, like um George Lucas like we can create yeah. anything and we can even layer it on top of the reality that we currently have um yeah and so I see that I think is really not just expanding the medium of filmmaking but I think expanding our imaginations yeah. for yeah different different worlds I see people being interested in like sci-fi and fantasy again coming mm -hmm. out of this pandemic yeah, I think it's I think we're going to make some cool stuff. I'm excited. <laughs> I, you know, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I sit here, you know, just being a, a film fan, being a lover of, of movies, being, you know, fascinated mm. with how that style works. And I have no idea what the next 10 years is going to look like. Mm. 10 years ago, we were talking about things in a different way than we are now. Yeah. We were talking about what well, we were talking about 3D a lot then. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and Peter Jackson, it is 48 frames a second thing with the Hobbit movies. And I actually really mm -hmm. like that, but I haven't seen anyone do it since. Mm -hmm. Oh, I guess I saw yeah. Angley do it with Jim and I, ma'am. And then no one saw that movie. No one remembers it. I, I liked it. I was like, oh, look, Will Smith made a 90s movie and it looked like John Hughes, <laughs> sort of. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I, but I think we don't maybe, I mean, like, I know you are thinking about it. You are trying to figure out ways to like expand this horizon and I think mm -hmm. I just want to see what that looks like. So to mm -hmm. that extent, what are you working on next that you can talk about? Let's if see. you can talk about it. <laughs> I think um, my thesis film against reality, um, I am hoping to come out with so that people can see it very soon. Okay. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, so that one, it's a, it's a short film. Mm -hmm. But I did, I made it in collaboration with these AI neural networks um, generating the artwork for me. And essentially, I, in that film, tell the story of how I learned to lucid dream during the pandemic. It's a true story. It's very wild. It goes. So is it like place. waking life sort of or? People say that a lot. And I oh. love waking life. In fact, that was actually the inspiration for, um, my first film that I made, Lucid, yeah, literally called Lucid before I knew how to lucid dream. And, yeah. um, and I remember we watched that movie as a crew. Um, yeah, okay. And 
But is so, that the same? Because I don't know much about dream. I mean, we talk about lucid dreams. That's kind of like, yeah. it feels real. I mean, help me out here. I, I think I might be getting this wrong. Um, so it's in lucid dreams. So you're dreaming, right? Which normally no. you do. And you're kind of just experiencing things in the dream. Typically things are no. just happening to you. You're reacting to them. In lucid dreams, you are aware that you're dreaming and you can make decisions um, because of it. So you learned how to do that? Yes. <laughs> During the pandemic. Well, yeah, I, all <laughs> This right. is my pandemic project instead of the bread. <laughs> like- <laughs> I, I have so, I have a lot of questions about that. And I feel like I should have asked this question earlier, <laughs> but you've made a movie about like, doing that how to do that how is what is the what is the movie like is that what it is so it's going to be a three-part series right now um the part that i finished for my thesis is part one um and i was i told my advisors that if it's like modeled after alice in wonderland this is just the part where she falls down the hole in the first place um so part one is just talking about like my own experience of dreams. I used to be one of those people where I was like, I don't think that I do dream. Like I can't right. remember any of them. And so going from that to having very vivid dreams and then to becoming lucid in them and like why I made the decision in the first place. Part two is some of the adventures I've had in the dream realm. And part three is some of the pitfalls oh. <laughs> I ran into. Um, you know, some troubleshooting. Oh so yeah. you will like the first part of this is like how you develop this. Yes. Yeah. The second part is why it's great. And the third part is why you might be worried about doing this. Yeah. 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 You know, and just some things to sort of look out for. Um, but what's cool is like, I did collaborate with two entities. One is Justin Enoch, who also sound designed Tahara, um, who did all the sound design, did an amazing job with no time and no money. <laughs> Um, and two is this AI, which, um, literally is pulling from imagery all over the internet across time. Um, so I could talk to it using plain text saying like, I need you. And I could tell it like literally imagery from my dreams and it would try its best to synthesize it for me. Um, and kind of with me, like I had to over time, like feed it images to sort of like add to the data sets. Um, without getting into all the boring technical stuff, like it really, I I assure you, I'm not bored by any of this. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always, I try to be cognizant of that because I think some people really want to know how it works. And some people are like, man, I just want to see it. I I think I'm just a little stunned that you, that you are not not only can do this, but your, your, your project, your film is going to be like kind of exploring it because I don't even know where to start (laughs) it's cool it's cool and people if you get on Twitter on Instagram right now there are some really really amazing artists who are um, trying to work with the medium because mind you like all of these um, AI art generators that's what they're calling them now is uh, most of them are still in beta like they're not fully released as actual programs just yet so this is a lot of people just sort of like getting access to Google collab notebooks or getting mm-hmm. access to, um, yeah, literally beta tests and just like messing around. <laughs> so you yeah. are, you are working with this or you're working with this group and you are kind of, they are helping to develop this, 
these images based on what you are experiencing? So I guess if by group you mean um, kind the of the AI neural, yeah, yeah, that neural network, yeah. yeah, yeah. So and it was literally just kind of me at my little uh, laptop, and part of that, part of the reason I chose to work with this is because I have a Mac. This is like such a simple thing. I have a Mac. Everyone in my program has a PC, um, which is much better adapted to work with different gaming engines. So I've always had trouble using like- So this is like Unity. a software. This is not, you're not working. Yeah. Okay, okay. I think I misunderstood oh. that you were working with like a group of people. But this is software that you are interacting with to make this. Kind project. of, kind of. <laughs> basically like <laughs> it's not so yeah it's not people to be clear this is just me like I made all okay. of it myself okay okay um me <laughs> and this um for lack of a better term like program but it's essentially like algorithms so computer yeah. algorithms that I'm using to generate images based on um my input okay but Okay. I think the, the way I talk about it is as though I'm working with a community of people because the data sets that I'm using are coming from people around the world giving the internet access to their imagery. So uh -huh. some of it might have come from even you uploading something. I see. <laughs> Which is a little weird, but I mean, that's also how dreams work, right? It's yeah. like we, we see imagery all day. Sometimes that's not even ours. Sometimes it's a movie and then we're able to pull from it and like make a dream. So is this project, is it done? Are you still working on it? Where is that at? I mean, I know you got your, it's like part of your, 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 your studies, but is it, Yeah. You're, are you now just looking for a way to get this out to the public? So um, kind of two things, like I'm going to go, I think the traditional film festival wrote like really briefly, because I really want people to be able to see this. And um, I, I guess for lack of a better term, like be inspired by it to make their uh -huh. own stuff. Because I think having this technology in the hands of artists is really important to me. Because um, I think then it will go in a really positive direction. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very powerful tool. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna do that. And then I want it to be uh, like an interactive experience. So my actual thesis was an interactive installation yeah. where people could come into our little gallery space. And um, I made this giant projector screen with my friend's uncle, Uncle Butch, shout out to him. Okay. <laughs> and um, he's a carpenter and he's brilliant yeah. too. Um, so we made this huge projector screen out of this stretchy material so people could literally like push their bodies into it. Mm -hmm. um, and we designed like the whole thing to look kind of like you're in a church. So similar, I guess that's kind of the parallel with um, Tahara. I'm clearly interested in some sort of spirituality. Um, well, yeah, I, I, but, I, I picked up on that. Uh, yeah. Watching your film. I, I'm fascinated by how cinema depicts religion. and yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine like you can almost like look at what you're talking about is like kind of trying to explore like this, like anything past like physical beings and mm. getting to celestial. <laughs> I'm sitting Rhythm here. With, like, like, That's talking, what I call it. <laughs> I feel like I'm sitting here like this will be like talking to James Cameron before the first Terminator movie talking to you. <laughs> I wish people watch yeah. this. I wish people listen to this podcast because they'd be talking to the next um, 
next big thing, what you're talking about. You know, I'm, I'm not even kidding. Crazy. I think this is amazing. Well, thank you. That means a lot. Against reality is what this is called. Against reality coming soon. Um, yeah, so part one will be out like really soon. And then parts two and three are in the works. Wow. And yeah, this, like, I was just wanting to talk to you about independent filmmaking, but I feel like <laughs> I should have been talking to you about this. Oh, well, I mean, I love that is independent filmmaking though, because it's still like literally me, like true. at my computer sweating over something, being like, is this a nightmare? Like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe it won't come out. You know, that's very similar. Like, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I just like thinking about how, like, what you're doing and how that can kind of coincide with the work you've done. And, and trying to, you know, kind of bring this humanistic approach to very much, you know, almost like kind of, like kind of fantastical concepts mm. is very yeah. provocative. Well, I mean, so that's what they did when they took us from like plays, like theater mm -hmm. that was live to film. Um, and so I think I see this as just like a further evolution of this medium, yeah. which is storytelling. So yeah, now we just got some new tools. I'm just, I'm stunned by how in, this, in, this is just so interesting. Um, I hope when that movie comes out, you'll, you'll not forget us and come back. <laughs> Absolutely. Citizen Jane in Missouri. I will. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't know if that's like something that would, I mean, that almost like, I think about true false, mm. like, you know, the whole concept of not just documentaries, but things that are perceived as reality. Mm. Ooh. Um, because I, mean, I was actually, because I've been, because like the whole time we've been talking, I was thinking a lot about, I just listened to, um, I always have to refer to better podcasts than mine, but I was listening to Mark Maron interview Barry Jenkins because I was about ready to watch Underground Railroad. Mm. And, and he was, he was talking a little bit about, you, you mentioned something about the, the writer um, uh, and about how he couldn't do that with James Baldwin, but he could do that with Colson Whitehead when he was doing the Underground Railroad, but he couldn't do that mm -hmm. with Bill Street could talk. Totally. Um, but then thinking about talking about like fact fiction or like finding truth and that there's this mm -hmm. third idea that it doesn't necessarily have to be based on fact mm. to be truthful. Yes. And I do think that's where true false is kind of like doing some interesting stuff and exploring like filmmakers who are interested in that. So wow. I guess if I'm going to hawk another film festival in Columbia that I, I would be desperate to see your work at. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm actually going to write that down. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this wasn't this a complete waste of your time. Uh, no, I love, I love talking to you. This is so fun. That, yeah. I mean, I, I think like that could be like a real, I mean, like obviously that's not as high profile as some of the places you've been, but it could be right up their alley. All right. So, I'll check it out. Thank you. I'm going to talk to those people too. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, Olivia, oh my gosh, I don't know what else to say that hasn't been said. It's amazing. It's an amazing talk. I, I love your movie. I love, I love the idea of what you're going to be doing next. And um, yeah, thank you. All right. And stay tuned. Thank stay you so tuned, much. everybody. <laughs> and yeah, if you, if you like this, I mean, I hope it, that everyone who's listening to this, all five of you who discover this incredible filmmaker here, you keep an eye on her. <laughs> share this conversation go you know like this on social media subscribe to this on spotify and itunes because we're still trying to get more uh, subscribers so itunes will actually start promoting this and share it on your social media on behalf of uh film snobs this is james owen uh until next time please take care of yourselves and each other